All right, let's start off with a little crowd participation. You ready? Let's see if you can finish this sentence. It's all fun and games until... All right, someone gets hurt. What would you say? Someone loses an eye. I like that one too. That one's good. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. I think our uh, children's minister can attest to that. They were having fun and games until Hunter broke both his arms um, a couple of weeks ago. That was fun until it wasn't. And uh, it seems like we kind of live like that sometimes. As long as things are going well, man, this is great. But then something happens and it tends to change uh, the whole perspective and things can get real serious real fast. Let me ask you this question. What does it mean, though? What does it mean when you think about having a full life? You know, I have a life that's, that's been satisfying. I have a life that's been full. I have a life that I enjoy. What does that mean? You know, how do you know, if you think about this, how do you know what the peaks are? How do you know what the good times in life are unless you've walked through a few valleys, unless you've had a few struggles? And how do you know, you know, what the struggles are unless you've had some, maybe some more enjoyable times of life? When, uh, you know, when things are good, if you think about it, when things are going good, maybe life's on a roll, sometimes we have a tendency to lose our appreciation for it. it we, we tend to, to take it for granted. Um, I enjoy playing golf, and thankfully over the years I've gotten a little bit better at it, so that's why I continue to enjoy playing golf. And I laugh all the time because you know, now I get frustrated at things that I would have rejoiced over years ago. You know what I mean? You, know, you, you get better at something and you think, ah, I should, be, I should be doing better. And then I just think back and go, you know, 10 years ago you'd have come home and wanted to pin that scorecard on the wall and go, look what I did. And now you want to go, oh, I don't even want to talk about that. And then sometimes when uh, things are going bad, though, and it seems like you're just in a little bit of a, of a, a slump or a bad time, you can tend to kind of stay there to the point that you begin to lose a little bit of hope, can't you? And so we, we need to understand and we need to embrace the fact that life has these ebbs and flows. We, you know, I've talked about it before that life has these seasons and, and there's a season for everything and we, we tend to walk through some highs and we walk through some lows. And the thing that's true about anything in life is that we really have no idea what tomorrow may bring. I mean, look at us here April 8th and wearing sweaters and stuff like that. <laughs> You're just going like, okay, come on. Make up your mind, weather. Not even the weather can make up its mind, so it wouldn't surprise us that life kind of does that to us as well. But how do we stay on point with our faith? How do we stay on point in our walk with Christ, though we have no idea what circumstances may come our way, though we have no idea how what this week is even going to bring or how we're going to be able to make it through it? You know, we want to talk about what it means to live life on mission. And we want to talk about what it means to, to live in such a way that no matter what the circumstances of life may bring, that we can stay grounded and focused in what God is doing. And so what does it mean to live a life on mission? It requires, very simply, it requires a bold faith. And, and we can be bold. Think about it. You can be bold in life when you're confident, right? When you're confident in something, then you can be a little bit more bold. At it, And so we understand this idea of boldness and confidence go together. But a bold faith requires confidence in what? Confidence in self? <laughs> no. A bold faith requires confidence in God. And there's something that, there's something when I talk to people about faith in God or when I talk to them about what it means to, to walk with Christ. And they, they sometimes talk to you and they say, well, you know, how does this, 
does this work for you? Or, you know, how does this, how do you live this stuff out? And the truth is that it only works if you live it. It only works if you do it. It doesn't, doesn't work, listen to me, church, it doesn't work if you just believe it. It works if you actually live it. There's a difference between believing something and living something. And so a bold faith requires that we live it out. And so let me catch you up on where we have been. Um, this year we have been going through the book of Acts and learning from the early church and learning from the disciples as a guide to what God might be teaching us and what he can do in our life and how we can live out a bold faith. So let me kind of quickly catch you up on where we are. Now, when Acts begins, we have the resurrected Jesus appearing to his disciples. He comes to them. He promises them the Holy Spirit. He tells them that they're going to be his witnesses. Now, this is about 120 people who have gathered together. It's after the resurrection of Jesus. So they understand that there's already been some, some persecution and some, some acts against them in their faith, and so they're not real sure about what to do, but Jesus says these things to them, and then he ascends into heaven. They come together in Jerusalem, and they're praying. They find a replacement for Judas, one of the 12 disciples, and then the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, the disciples begin to speak, and they're speaking, and the languages can be understood by everybody that's there, and it's a pretty incredible thing that's happening at this point in time, and it tells us in Scripture that about 3,000 people were added to the church that day. So this group of 120, all of a sudden this group of 3,000, you know, things are fun at that point in time. And then we go on and we see this story of Peter and John, and they're going to the temple, and at that point, God chooses to heal a man through Peter, and so this man is healed, and everybody's coming again to see what in the world is going on. They come to Peter, and Peter gives another message at this point in time, and it says the, the church grew to about 5,000 at that point in time. So, man, it's all fun and games right now, right? I mean, it's just it's amazing what's happening. But then at this point in time, they start to catch the attention of the religious leaders and the political leaders of the time, and they get arrested and they're not sure, the, the leaders aren't sure what they're absolutely supposed to do with Peter and John because, man, you can't argue the things that are going on here, but what are we supposed to do? And they decide, you know, really, there's nothing that we need to do. We're just going to kind of let this go because if it's from God, then it's going to keep going. But if it's not, it's going to die out. And so they dismiss them and they tell them that you, you need to go, but stop preaching in this name of Jesus. Stop talking about this. And that's where we get our Acts 4.31 challenge that we have been doing as a church. It says in Acts 4.31 that they were praying that God would fill them with the Holy Spirit and let them speak the word of God boldly, even though the political and the religious leaders were telling them not to. It says that God answered that prayer in such a way that the place that they were staying was shaken. And so what we've been doing as a church, and I invite you to join along with us, we've been setting an alarm at 4.31 um, it went off in Walmart yesterday. That's, I needed to pray because I was at Walmart. And it went off at 431 in Walmart yesterday. And we, we just pray at 431 each day that God would fill us with his spirit and that he'd help us speak the word of God boldly. And so if you want to set an alarm and join us in that, we would encourage you to do that. And so the, the disciples come together. They're praying for boldness. And then you see a, another one of these summary statements where it shows how the church was sharing and they were caring for each other's needs and and they were just concerned about spreading the word of the gospel. And they didn't want to let anything stand in the way. And then we see this story that we caught at the first of chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira 
lied to the Holy Spirit and dropped dead right at that moment. And so you can see that there's a lot of power and there's a lot of things happening. It brings us to where we are today, starting in Acts 5, chapter 12. I mean, starting in chapter 5, verse 12, we have the third summary statement that we come to in Acts. And it says this. This is just giving us a picture of what's going on at this point in time in the early church. It says, many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, that means the all, the church together. There is a theme that we continue to see throughout the book of Acts about the early church, that they were all together. Not just the 11 or 12 of them together. They counted it a privilege and a responsibility, and they didn't miss the opportunity to gather together. So there was something there to be said, and that's always easy to say to the people who are here. Isn't that great? All right. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. Verse 13, no one else dared join them. We're going to come to that in a minute. But the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And in addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's an incredible picture of what's happening in the church. This church is moving in such a way that people are honestly, when you look at the picture, they're just kind of looking at it from a distance out of respect and going, this is pretty amazing what's happening. But they understand what's happening in the church, and so they're bringing their sick, and they're wanting them to get healed. They're wanting these things to happen. But then look at what's happening at the same time that this is happening. Verse 17, then the high priest rose up, he and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Here we go with jail again. Verse 19, but an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and tell all the people about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now you see this struggle that's going on with the church right here at this point in Acts. You see that God is moving in such a powerful way that everybody can recognize it, but yet at the same time, opposition is rising up in such a way that they're doing everything they can to squelch what's going on. You realize that that just happens in life, right? Anytime that you think things are going well and it's all fun and games, there's something that's swelling up over here trying to, trying to rise up against this, it seems like, all the time. And that is very true with our faith. Most people who come to me and go, you know what, I've never really had any conflict in my faith. I've never really had anybody persecute me or do anything like that. Now, that's true that we live in a place that has religious freedom for now. And that we live in a place that allows us to speak our faith boldly and not really have to be persecuted. But I promise you that those who are truly trying to live it out are fighting some resistance somewhere. They're, they're, they're running into some trouble, and so not in, a, not in a negative sort of way and not even in a condescending sort of way. Most of the people who are saying, you know, I've never really felt this resistance, I would say, well, then have you really been trying to actually go out there and do something? You know, it, because anytime you're actually trying to 
to do something, you're going to run into some sort of resistance. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look the same as it does all over the world. And I certainly don't want to compare some of our, what I would call, inconveniences with true persecution that's happening all throughout the world. But the truth is, is when we're trying to live out a bold faith in Christ, you are going to run into some difficulty or resistance along the way. You should expect it. That doesn't mean that we go out and we look for it, but it shouldn't surprise us when it happens. And so we see these type of things happening all the time here in the early church, that God's doing something and rising up, and then something happens along the way that's trying to take it down. Then God rises up something, then something happens. And you see this actually going to reach a crescendo here in just a little bit in the book of Acts with the first martyr recorded for the faith. And so we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks, but it's, it's coming to this crescendo. But what we need to look at in this verse today is go, okay, how do, I, how do I live out my faith in Christ? What does it mean for me to be a believer for Christ in today's world, no matter what the world is saying or no matter what I'm facing, how do I live out my faith? What does it look like to be bold? I want to give us some things about what a bold faith looks like today. A bold faith, first of all, it's a supernatural faith. Now, this is the part that we just need to get on out there. It is a supernatural faith. Our faith is in God. It's not in self. It's not in our good works. It's not in our goodness. It's not in the way that we live it out. It's not in our spiritual disciplines. It's not in our knowledge of God. Our faith, to be a bold faith, has to be a supernatural faith. We are putting our faith in something that goes beyond ourself, meaning it not only goes beyond ourself, it goes beyond any human. A bold faith has a confidence that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says that he will do no matter what the circumstances around us tell us. We've seen this multiple times in the book of Acts and we see it again today. The world says, throw them in jail. God goes, I'll open that door. And now get back out there and start preaching. Okay. That doesn't just happen on your own power. They didn't talk their way out of jail. They didn't hire a good lawyer to get out there on the street to fight for their rights and religious liberties. They just simply followed God in a supernatural way. And they saw God do things that no man could do because their faith was not in themselves. Their faith was in God, a bold faith, has confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says that he will do. So living like that, when you begin to live like that, you begin to see things happen in your life that most other people will never see. Because most people kind of live in a way of, of just what they can see and understand or maybe what their brain will allow them to have knowledge about. You know, many people think their way out of a relationship with God. And they, they don't understand that our, our being is not created up just in our brain, just in our knowledge of what we, it is a part of who we are. And we need to think. And I will just tell you this, as a Christian, you need to be educated in the word of God. You need to have knowledge and understanding about it, but then you need to understand that that's just part of it. Because then, don't we want to see God and move God move and do things beyond what we can see and understand? That makes him God. If I can figure everything out that God can do, then why do I need a God? I need a God that can go beyond 
any of this stuff. So a bold faith, first of all, it's a supernatural faith. We see God begin to do things that can only be explained by a movement of God because we're looking beyond ourselves to the one who has the power to do things that we can never do. Now, in my short summary, I brought up Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we see the beginnings of some of this. If you remember that third chapter, if not, you can flip over in Scripture. And it, it, it talks about Peter and John walking up to the temple. They see a man who was begging. They didn't have anything to give him. And so Peter looked at him and he said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And so this man was healed. Now let me ask you, who healed the man? Did Peter heal a man? No. Peter did not heal a man. Even Peter himself says that. In Acts 3.12, Peter's addressing this crowd that has come around and is looking at Peter going, I can't believe what you did. And Peter goes, me either, because I didn't do it. And I didn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, he says, why do you look at us? Peter's talking to the crowd. Why are you looking at me as though we made this man walk through our own power or godliness? We didn't do this. We are walking with God in a bold faith, living out what he's telling us to do, and we're seeing him do supernatural things. I didn't do this. God did this. Anybody want to live like that? That just gets me fired up. I'd love to walk around and go, I don't know how that happened, but God, that was awesome. You can do that again any time that you would like to. That is a supernatural faith, and so often we miss it. Because we're not looking at our faith in a supernatural way. We're smart and educated people. We want to come about this a logical manner. We want to put this together in an order, and here's how you grow in your faith. Step one, you do this, and step two, you do this. Step three, I kind of see the early church as one of the most beautiful messes you've ever seen in your life. They're just coming together going, can you believe what happened last week? This was awesome. Okay, we're all going to get thrown in jail again this week. What are we going to do? I have no idea. All right, let's keep going. Amen, amen. Everybody in one, two, three, Jesus. Amen, woo. It's kind of like we're just, we're going. But they're seeing God do stuff. And you know what's funny? I know it was kind of that way because they didn't have the New Testament to read. We do. And we look back and we go, wow, how does God do that? God does that when we live out our faith in a supernatural way. When we're looking for him to do things beyond just what we can see and understand and touch and feel. And that honestly requires us to get out of our normal routine. A lot of us don't see God do supernatural things because we do the same thing every week, all the time. And it just go. I mean, you know where this person is going to be on Wednesday. You know where this person is going to be on Thursday. It just, it goes. And sometimes, that, I don't think that their routine was pretty much the same. It was just truly directed by a supernatural God. See, in verse 16 of chapter 3, Peter spells it out real quick. He says, it's by faith in the name of Jesus who you see and know that this man has perfect health. So everything that was happening People would look at Peter and Peter, this isn't me, this is Jesus. And I can't help but think that he remembered the words that Jesus had told him while he was together. Look at John 14, it's up on the screen, John 14, 12 and 13. Jesus was speaking to the disciples and he also shares these words in scripture that I believe that can be true for us as well. Jesus himself speaking, he says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. 
the one who believes in Jesus will do the works that Jesus did. And he will do even greater works than these. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Probably one of the most misrepresented scriptures ever. It didn't say, whatever you ask in Jesus' name, I'll do. Heavenly Father, I would love a new Jeep in Jesus' name. Amen. I go outside and it's not there. That's not what this is saying. What this verse is saying is that as you are walking with God, living out your faith, when you are in step and in line with living out the mission that God has put you on, if there is a need that you run across, that God is going to fill it as you live out this mission for him. That's what this verse is saying. You're not going to be in want for anything that you're trying to do in line of filling out God's will in your life. So here's the question for us. Do you believe that God can do great things through you? You know, a lot of people look at, well, he did that through the disciples, or, you know, I'm not a pastor, or I don't know that. And and they go, I don't know that God can do great things through me. Let me tell you, God can use you to do great things. Do you believe that God can use you to change the course of another person's life? I do. I absolutely. It It may be as simple as a word of encouragement, but God can take that and make it a miracle because God can do something supernatural with something that we can do in a natural way. God can do amazing things through you if you will allow him to do that. I know he can if you believe. So I want you to ask yourself this question. What am I attempting that will never happen without the power of God? What am I attempting in my life that will never happen without the power of God? Because if you think about that, sometimes we have to look at our week and go, nothing. I can tell you this week what I did last week and it's pretty much going to be the same next week and there's not really anything that I'm attempting to do in my life that's never going to happen without the power of God because I kind of have this down by now. Sometimes we routine ourselves right out of a relationship with God where he's doing incredible things and, and, and God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, through anyone he wants for his glory and for his kingdom. And this is a tough thing for us to, to wrestle with because sometimes we are on this side of it where we go, I don't know that God can use me to do anything, and, and we, we tend to downplay this. And then maybe we hear stuff like this and we get all fired up and we think, God's going to use me to do these huge, amazing things. And well, maybe. But the truth in living this out, this bold faith, is just to simply follow God day by day. And to get up tomorrow and go, okay, God, what... What do I need to do today that cannot be done without your power in my life? And then go do that. And the, the, the most incredible miracle that happens all the time that we tend to downplay is when God uses one person to change another person's eternity. When we simply share our faith with someone else and all of a sudden the miracle of a heart change happens. And now somebody who was destined for an eternity separated from God in hell is now destined for an eternity walking in heaven with Christ. It's the greatest miracle that could ever happen. And it happens because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we get to share that good news with everyone. And that's what we need to be attempting through the power of God is that God can use us to change another person's life. So I would just challenge you, if you're attempting those things, write them down and look at them. Remind yourself each day 
that you're relying solely on the power of God so that when he moves, don't miss that he's moving in that. So a bold faith is a supernatural faith, and a bold faith lives out God's word. You've heard me say it a hundred times already, but we're just going to go ahead and make a point out of it and write it down. A bold faith lives out God's word. You can't live it out without knowing it, but knowing it is not the end of it. You have to know it, but then knowing it should cause you to want to live it. When you see something in the Word of God that runs contrary to the way that you have been believing or living, here's the simple thing that you do. You stop what you were doing and you start doing what the Word of God says. And if you'll remember, if you've been around me at all, when I use the word simple, I am not saying that it's easy. Simple means that I can explain it to you in a simple way. Easy means it's easy to do. I did not say this was easy. I said it was simple. The Christian faith is actually a very simple faith. It really is. Difficult to live out at times, but very simple. So when you see, as you study the Word of God, something in there that says, hey, you know what, I'm not living like that. I don't, I don't handle my relationships the way that Scripture tells me to. I don't deal with my enemies the way that Scripture tells me to. I don't handle my finances the way Scripture tells me to. I'm not necessarily thinking I'm approaching my marriage the way that Scripture's telling me to. Wow, I don't know that I'm living my personal life the way, guess what you do? You just take what it says here, and you say, God, give me the strength to be able to do this differently because I've been doing it this way for a long time, and I need your help to make this adjustment in my life. And when you begin to do those things, God begins to show up in incredible ways in your life. You know, God designed us and he created us with an idea and a plan that brings him great glory and you great fulfillment in life. You understand that, right? And then he loved us so much that he sent his son so that we can have that relationship with him so that we can understand what it means to live in that way. And we buy this lie that somehow that we can do this on our own without God and it always ends up falling short, being a little unfulfilling. But I promise you, the more that we line our life up and live out the word of God, the more fulfilling and great it is. Did I say it was easier? I did not. Do you see anything that we have seen in the book of Acts so far that says, wow, when I give my life to Christ and follow him, everything's easy? No. I see stories of people getting persecuted, thrown in jail, and difficult things happening, but I see, I can't help but look at stories like this church and ask the question, why? Why would they continue to live like that with that much opposition? Well, there's only one logical answer, because what they know to be true is greater than the persecution that they're facing. It's the only reason you would possibly live something like that out. And so that's what they continued to do. So a, a bold faith is a supernatural faith, and a bold faith lives out God's word. Now, here's a motto for you. Live it first, see it second. Okay, there you go. Live it first, see it second. I didn't make a blank out of that, but you might want to tweet that so you don't forget it. I don't know. Um, like Dr. Catanzaro doesn't tweet, I overtweet. So there we go. Um, live first, see second. Anyone can live out what they see, right? Anyone can live out what they understand, comprehend, but... We love the stories of the disciples and the others in here because what we see is that they're living out something they didn't actually see yet. And we look at them and go, what an incredible faith. Well, simple. Start doing the same thing. Live what you know is true because God's word says it. Not live what you know is true because you see it and touch it. Live out your faith. Now, 
I said we'd come back to this. Verse 13 and 14. Look at this real carefully. No one else dared join them. (laughs) But the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers. Now, you look at that little summary statement, and you just go, what in the world? They're living out their faith, but yet no one is joining them. But in the next verse, it says, but the believers were being added in numbers to each day. Okay, so here's the, here's the question. If no visitors are coming to church, how's the church growing? I mean, come on. If no visitors are coming to the church, I mean, they're meeting, but that nobody's going to join them. How they, well, here's how it's growing. Because the church is going out and living out their faith. And every day, people are coming to the Lord because the people are actually coming together and then going to live out their faith. That's where we see the power. The people were living out God's word. Church, the gathering together, was a time to come together and encourage one another. It was a time to come together and pray. It was a time to dig into God's word. And it was a time to share about what God was doing in each of their lives. We saw this in another summary statement in Acts, Acts 2.42, when it says, this is what the church did when they came together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which was what? It was God's word. They were teaching God's word. And so they devoted themselves to the word of God. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, meaning that they devoted themselves to coming together, to encouraging one another, to being around one another. They encouraged, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which didn't mean they just came together and eat. It's, a, it's an allusion back to remembering what Jesus Christ had done. Because Jesus Christ gathered his disciples together in what we call the Last Supper. Because we're on this side of history. We understood it was the Last Supper. And so he brought them together and said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And he broke bread and he gave them the the wine there to uh, represent his blood and his broken body. And so that's what we meant by the breaking of bread, they reminded themselves that they were doing this because of what Jesus had done, and they devoted themselves to prayer. And so these were the things that were happening when they came together, and these were the things that were happening inside their heart and in their life. But what then we read about is what's happening as a result of these things. And so let me ask you this question What is the outward evidence of my inward faith? It's just got to be a question we should all ask. What's What's the outward evidence of the fact that I say that I have a belief in God? See, we see this and we go, I don't sit here and go, I wonder if Peter's a Christian. (laughs) I've never read this and thought, you know, I just, I wonder. I wonder that he seems to be a nice guy. He goes to church a lot. I I wonder what he, I don't. We don't think that because we see these incredible things happening in this life. Guys, same thing's true for us. Am I Peter? Are you Peter? No, we're not, we're not going to do those things, but we're going to do the things that God has set aside for us to do. Scripture says that God has created us to accomplish the good works that he's put there in advance for us to do. That's what Ephesians tells us. Okay? And so when we begin to live out our faith, there will be an outward evidence of an inward faith that's happening. It will make a difference not only in your life, it will make a difference in the lives of those around you. That's what a bold faith is. A bold faith is not a politically correct faith. 
It's also not a rude faith. It's led by the Spirit of God. And when he says, this is what you do, you do it. If what you do leads you down a path of difficulty, then we trust that God is leading me down that path of difficulty. As we go down that path of difficulty, I can attest to this in my life, that you walk down that path and all of a sudden you go, oh, maybe it's not as hard as I thought it was going to be because I didn't realize that, God, you're on this path. And even though it looks like a difficult path, it's actually not that hard because you're on the path. If that doesn't make sense to you, just let that mull for a little bit. A bold faith is supernatural. A bold faith lives out God's word. And a bold faith begins with humility. A bold faith begins with humility. Why do you say that, Pastor? Well, because so many times when we have this fire you up, pep rally message about living out a bold faith, sometimes it fires up people a little too much. I mean, you ever been there, you know? And they just go, I'm just going to go tell everybody, and you better listen to me. Can I tell you about 16-year-old Lundell who lost all his friends because he thought his middle name was Holy Spirit, Lundell Holy Spirit Holloway? And so I took it upon myself to call out the sins of all of my, uh, those around me. And I can't believe you would live this way. God's done this much. Stop doing this. And they were like, yeah, I'm out. And the reason wasn't necessarily because I was telling untruths. It was because I had zero love in my heart for it. I just cared that I was right and that they were wrong. And so a bold faith actually has to begin with humility. And humility means that I put others before myself, and I can't do that if I don't love them. I can't do that if I don't love them. And so I first have to love the person. And then in humility, I can boldly live out my faith. You see, humility is coming to the place in life that you're comfortable with who you are. That's the first thing about humility. It's comfortable with who you are and who you've been created to be in Christ. And then you find that place where you live as a blessing to others. It's, it's using your talent and your giftedness and your knowledge and your ability to put others first. That's a bold faith, though. And, and as bold as Peter sounds standing up in front of crowds and doing all this stuff, I guarantee you when you look at the story of Peter, and we, we've talked about him a lot over the past few weeks, and you see this transition that happened over a period, honestly, of about 60 to 80 days where he went from being the spokesperson of the disciples and I'm going to go to the death with you, Lord, to being the person who denied Christ three times, to being the embarrassed person when Christ showed back up and going, I don't know that I even want to talk to him now because I let him down. And now you see him out speaking to others. That's a process where you just go through and you go, hey, look, what's different about Peter? Well, there's, there's a humility that's driving the boldness. Well, humility, boldness, do those go together? A hundred percent they go together. Boldness without humility, anybody want to give me a word for that? Begins with an A, rhymes with garrogance. It's arrogance. It's just an arrogant faith, and nobody's attracted to an arrogant faith. They're attracted to a humble faith that puts the needs of others first, that confidently and quietly at times just says, hey, I, I'm, I, I want you to know that there's something different, there's something better. A bold faith begins with humility. And really, what would keep us from living out a bold faith 
in this way would be pride. It's just pride. So I want to close with this thought. Is pride standing in your way? Is pride standing in my way? Well, what do you mean pride, Pastor, in, in what way? Well, first of all, you may be at a point in your life where you go, I don't really know that I need God. I, I mean, my life's good. I've got it all together. Everything's kind of working. I like my routine. I really don't want you talking about messing up my routine, Pastor. I'm good. You know what that's called? It's called pride. That's called saying that your routine is quite possibly more important than what God might be calling you to do. And it's also a pride, and listen to me, that says that I believe my routine and my way of living life is going to bring me more fulfillment than the God who created me is saying that my life could be lived. That's pride. That's saying I am better than what this is. So is pride standing in your way in that way. Pride will keep you from believing that you need anything else in life other than you. I say this all the time, and everything, like when, when you hear this, is contextual. But I believe that living in the culture that we live in is a very difficult place to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Even though we have all the religious freedom to be able to do it, we also are surrounded by people who have very little need in their life. And therefore, pride keeps many, many people from hearing the message of Christ in our culture. Now, there's other difficulties around the world uh, that we can run into. We're not comparing that one's greater or, or lesser than the other. But I'm just saying that that tends to be our particular difficulty around here. We're actually going to talk in Bible study over the next four weeks. And any adults, welcome to join us. We're, we're going to be on the third floor. And we're going to be talking about what it means to share our faith in a culture like that. And we're going to kind of break that down a little bit. If you want more information about that, you can talk to us after the service. But is pride standing in my way of living a bold faith? The other thing that pride would stand in the way of would be that moment that God whispers, hey, I need you, I need you to do this. And we look at God and go, what? I don't think so. I think you missed by one or two. You can go to this person over here, but mm -mm. We tend to look at the disciples and we tend to put them on a pedestal, as we should for a little bit, because they lived out a great faith and they should be recognized for that. But stop for a moment, and as we close this today, imagine God whispering to Peter, hey, you see that guy begging? I want you to heal him. <laughs> I'm sure Peter was like, what? I mean, I've seen you do this a hundred times. Me to do that? You think that's hard to imagine? Imagine this, that God might be whispering in your, hair, in your ear, hey, you see your neighbor? Why don't you go talk to them? Hey, you see that person that's, I want you to go talk to them. And you know what you're probably doing? Hmm? I'm going to call Lyndall. Maybe Lyndall can come and do it. He's a professional Christian. He talks to people about Jesus all the time. Maybe he can do that. And God wants to use you to do these things. A bold faith is one that will live it out.